This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, July 19th, the Blockchain Baby Names Edition. I'm Gabriel Roth, an editor at Slate and the father of Leo, who's four, and Eliza, who is seven. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we have a question about a boy whose peers say he dresses like a girl, and another about what last name to give your kids. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails. We'll have recommendations, and on Slate Plus... Rebecca has a question for us about how to talk to kids about college and money. First, though, triumphs and fails. Rebecca, do you want to go first, triumph or fail? I've got a fail, maybe. And I'd love your guys' uh, input on whether or not this is truly a fail. It's just something I kind of feel bad about. Uh, I, like a lot of parents, have things that I like hate, right? So I one of them, for example, is Disney World. Like I hate Disney World uh, because I hate that Disney World has become this obligatory thing that parents feel like at some point they have to do with their kids. Like, oh, we have to do Disney. I just feel like it sucks. It's super expensive. There are a million other things you can do with kids that they will, you know, remember more, like more, enjoy more that are not that. And I think one of the reasons I hate it is just because of that whole thing where it's it's like a rite of passage or whatever that parents feel obligated to take their kids there. So that is one of those things that I hate. Another thing that I hate, however, is baseball. Like, I hate baseball a lot. <laughs> Whoa. What's, a, um, what's that's a great thing to hate. America's pastime. Uh, I, I think baseball Disneyland is and baseball. super boring. Uh, I, in particular, hate the stupid banter that the baseball announcers do during baseball games where they just, like, fill time by talking to each other about anything. I just think mm-hmm. as a broadcast experience, it sucks. Um, mm. And, you know, and the All-Star game was on yesterday, and I'm, like, watching these players get interviewed on the field while they're playing the game and I'm like this is proof that this game is boring and it sucks the players can literally be interviewed while they're doing it like it's a testament to all the reasons why I hate this sport the problem is that my wonderful husband Kevin loves baseball and because when you're a parent as you know if you hate something your kids basically learn to hate it too or at least you know they kind of like it's just part of the fabric of their lives and not liking of this thing and you know, Kevin loves baseball. He loves watching the Red Sox. He was watching the All-Star game yesterday. And I, I kind of feel like there have been times where my kids have walked into the room when he's watching baseball and they've sat down and it could have been this nice thing where like they sit and watch baseball together. And my kids are just like, they've got like a 10 minute cap and then they just have to get up and leave because like whatever I've instilled in them about this stupid game kind of comes out. And so I feel like I've kind of ruined baseball and the potential to like baseball with somebody else in the family 
as a result of my bias against this thing that millions of other people seem to enjoy. And and baseball in particular is one of those sports where like Kevin texts with his mom during the games or like all big baseball fans, his whole family, they all text each other about what's happening in the game. It seems to be a thing that families like as a group. And I kind of feel like I've wrecked that for my family. So I, I think it's kind of a fail, but I don't know. Am I wrong to hate baseball so much and share that hatred with my kids all these years? This is this is actually a much more complicated question than it appears on the surface. <laughs> really? I mean, yeah, there's this there's layers here, Rebecca. No, I don't I mean hating whatever. Like hating I don't think anyone's wrong to hate any sport. You can hate any sport. I happen to I happen to appreciate different sports for different reasons. I don't watch a lot of baseball, but I have in the past appreciated baseball for its cinematic drama and stare downs. <laughs> a stare oh my downs God, you're such a nerd, Carve. Oh, baseball you. is all about people staring at each other. So if you're in the mood for that, then it's a good sport. <laughs> is it? But uh, whatever. Like I didn't, I didn't grow up. Baseball was not like the emotional family bonding sport that a lot. Of, it is for a lot of people. It wasn't. It wasn't that for me when I was growing up. But um, but I don't. I don't think you're wrong for hating it. And I also don't think you're wrong for like um, for like the fact that your kids don't like something that you don't like. That's not, I don't think that's wrong either. You're not, you know, but I do see why you feel like, oh, maybe I've kind of intervened in a situation. Maybe I've sort of like inadvertently <laughs> intervened in a situation that I didn't, maybe shouldn't have without even knowing it. Because it is nice to have something that people can connect to. And the thing about certain aspects of sports is that um, it takes a certain, like, you have to develop some kind of appreciation for the sport in order to watch it. And it's nice to, it's like the same reason you take music appreciation classes in college so that you can sit down and listen to like pieces of music and go, Oh, now that I understand what's happening, I can either enjoy this or not enjoy this or whatever, but it helps that I understand. I I don't think Mm. it's bad to have that with sports, but I don't think it's mandatory either. So I can see why you feel bad, but I I mean, I I think everyone's going to survive this. There's no permanent damage has been done. They'll have to find something else to bond over. Yeah, I agree. I do think it's a shame that you didn't, uh, that you weren't able to foresee the future when your kids were small uh, and you weren't able to say, maybe in 15 years I will have divorced their father and be married Mm. to another guy who really likes baseball and so I should prep them for some good stepfather bonding with my future husband. Uh, yeah. it's, it's too bad you didn't do that. But yeah. um, life is full of missed opportunities like that. It is. It is. And um, I, I, I guess I'll have to just say to my past self, it wasn't a fail. Maybe my current self, I could be less of a dick about baseball uh, now. <laughs> I, I will say, though, that I've had this theory. This is my chance to say one of my favorite theories that no one ever agrees with, which is that of all the sports, and I grew up as a in a place where sports were really important, and I write about sports, and I spend a lot of time dealing with sports, Baseball is the most male of all sports. Oh, interesting. Everything, this is my theory. Everything that is like wrong with men is most <laughs> existent in baseball more than anything mm. else. Because if you think about it, baseball is all about people never showing their emotions under any circumstances and pretending mm. like nothing ever matters. And then suddenly there's a huge explosion of emotion that's been all pent up because someone gets a hit or someone, right? And then, every, but it's all about everyone pretending like nothing matters. And, then and staring hiding at their each other. signals, right? They yeah, hide and then, their signals. And, yeah, and then obsessively <laughs> chewing on stuff and then spitting and then grabbing their crotches and then staring at each other some more and then pretending like it doesn't matter. And then all of a sudden there's a huge explosion. Every other sport, major sport, involves like there's a flow of emotions and expressions. I feel upset. I feel happy. I feel confused. I'm going to run. I'm going to like it's all there's all this expressiveness. And baseball is the one sport that allows literally zero expressiveness of any type at any point. 
And so for that reason, I actually think that people who fundamentally hate baseball are really onto something. Personally, mm. that's what I think. Mm. There's, no right. t- there's no touching in baseball except for very occasionally when you're getting the other guy out. That, <laughs> that's the only time it's okay to touch someone is when you're fucking them over. <laughs> or no, no. Or when someone scores, and then you basically get to be as gay as possible. Oh but yeah, only right. For like seven seconds, <laughs> you get seven seconds of pure unadulterated gay, and then after that, yeah. everyone has to go back to their to their performance. Right. I will say I, that I love this theory. I, I, love, I love it. I love the theory <laughs> too. I will say that I remember one of the women I lived with in college telling me that she thought baseball uniforms were the most attractive uniforms, and that they had been designed either by a woman or a gay man. I believe that's true, although they've changed, they've become more baggy lately, which is kind of a letdown for people who are into the male form. But, uh, but there was a period, especially in the 90s, I think, when they were at a, where they were, you know, they were there. Like they were the most manly by far. Huh. Mm. Hmm. All right. Well, that's, that's an ambiguous fail, but it, it's one that uh, <laughs> precipitated uh, a theory that has changed, I think, the way all of us will look at baseball going forward. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally a platform. Exactly. Um, I have a fail too. Um, my fail—it's a—it's—it's it's a satisfying fail because I was the one who failed, and I was the one who was punished for the failing. Uh, so it, it's a story that contains its own—it's uh, a complete story with its own consequence. Um, so Leo is going to camp this week. It's not a camp that he loves. It's kind of a bit of a daycare sort of camp. Like it's like his school, but less fun. Um, And so he complains every day about going to the camp and I have to take him to the camp and there's some fussing and like I have to be like, no, I'm reading you one book and then I'm leaving and he's upset with me for leaving and like that. So we're not having a fun time with the camp drop off stuff. Uh, His birthday, as you remember, was last week and he got, among other things, for his birthday, he got some new pajamas. And these pajamas, you guys, let me tell you, they have the Avengers on them. And Mm. there is nothing more exciting to him than the opportunity to sleep in some Avengers pajamas. Um, I don't know if you guys have like a thing about washing the new clothes before wearing them. Um, I think Eliza got a a reaction when she was a little kid to like the chemicals that they put on new clothes that that make them look stiff and shiny. Um, And so now whenever we get new clothes, the kids can get the clothes, but we have to wash them one time before they can wear them. And so he was super excited about his Avengers pajamas, but he couldn't wear them until we had washed them. So then there's a morning where it's time for him to go to camp. He's upset. He doesn't want to go to camp. And I tell him, listen, if you will cooperate and go with me to camp, I will wash your Avengers pajamas today. I'll do the laundry today instead of at the end of the week. And and you get to wear your Avengers pajamas tonight. You can come home from camp and sleep in your Avengers pajamas. And that literally was the incentive. That was the motivation that he needed to stop fussing and slouch off to the bus stop with me and I could drop him off at camp. And having had that short-term triumph of getting him to camp, I completely forgot, of course, about the commitment that I had made <laughs> now to do the laundry and wash the pajamas. Um, and and I'm usually pretty good at, like, I have a system and I, if I commit to doing something, I make a note in my list of reminders and it pops up to let me know that I'm supposed to do it. But I failed to do it. The system is based on the getting things done system that some of our listeners will be familiar with. And this part of the system is called capture. It's whenever you have an obligation or a commitment, you have to make sure to capture it in some sort of permanent record that you'll be able to check at some point in the future. And I failed at the capture step. This is my after action report on my fail. Uh, I failed at the (laughs) 
capture step. Uh, and, and so... We will be going over this in detail in your performance review, Gabe. I, <laughs> I believe me. Um, and so I, you know, we got home and it was bedtime. And I suddenly realized as I'm like, okay, time to get into your pajamas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's no good. And I was hoping like that he would have forgotten because he hadn't mentioned it after camp. Like it wasn't like this was his whole day was hinging on this thing, but he was like, okay, where's my Avengers pajamas? And I'm like, mm. oh buddy, I'm really sorry. I didn't wash them, but I will wash them tonight and you can wear them tomorrow Oof. night. And he was like, that was nah! your <laughs> Like it was Gabe. not, it was not okay. So oh, man. because, because I had made this promise to him, then what I told him was, okay, uh, right after you put on these other pajamas now, right after you're in bed, I'm going to go downstairs and wash your pajamas. And then when they're done, you'll be asleep by the time they're done, but I will come in and like change you into your Avengers pajamas mm. while you're asleep. And he mm. was like, okay, I can live with that. So mm -hmm. I put him to bed. I went and washed the pajamas and the rest of the laundry. Uh, come upstairs, and then he's sound asleep. And I can get the pajama. I can get his pajama bottoms off, but not his. Uh, and and put on the Avengers pajama bottoms. But I try to get him to sit up so I can take off his pajama top and put on the Avengers pajama top. And he he's asleep and he doesn't want me. He's like, go. Oh, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to like wake him up and explain to him that now we're putting on the Avengers pajamas. So I figure, okay, I'll, uh, he, I put him back in the other pajamas and I leave the Avengers pajama top right on his bed where he'll sit up and see it so that if he is wakes up and is like, why the fuck aren't I wearing my Avengers pajamas? <laughs> then then he'll, he'll see it right what there. What the fuck is and he, this? He, he can take off his other pajamas and put on his own Avengers pajamas because he's a big boy now. And, and really, I feel like that's probably the best solution. So I do that. And so then, of course, at three in the morning, he like marches into my room like, where the fuck are my Avengers pajamas? And I'm <laughs> dude they're on your bed I left them on your bed and he's like oh okay and he goes back to bed and changes his pajamas um, so my fail my punishment um, and, and he's not mad at me but I, I missed out on some sleep that night I mean, like, for real, you just couldn't let him wear the unwashed pajamas like the rest of America would have done this one time and saved yourself all of this yeah, trouble? Yeah, that's the part of the story where I thought that you really made the critical error. Like, yeah. when, when you when you realized that you didn't wash the pajamas and you saw his little forehead crinkle up and you saw the little lips start to quiver, then yeah. that's when you should have said, and they're right here. And here they are. <laughs> and if they itch, My come sir. let me know tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, he wakes up with, with eczema and then that's a whole different kind of fail story that I'm telling you. But yes, I agree. That was, that was definitely a point at which things could have gone differently. Fascinating. <laughs> Carvel, what about you? Do you have a success? Um, do you have a triumph this week? I do. I have a. I have a. I have a triumph, which is that um, the 15-year-old is now. I for twice this past week, I have put him behind the wheel of an automobile and let him drive nice. in circles yeah. around various parking lots in the East Bay. Wow! Uh, and it's been. And the first time we did it, it was just he and I, and it was such a fascinating thing because it was a little bit of a spur of the moment thing. Like I knew I had a vague sense that it was going to happen this summer, just because it's time. And uh, and I didn't really plan on it necessarily that day, but I just was like, hey, like it was, I was supposed to go with, hang out with both of them and do something with both of them. And then Georgia had a thing. And so it was just me and him. And I said, hey, do you want to just, just go to the parking lot and drive? And he was like, sure. And the next thing I knew we were doing it. Like we, he, I sat him in the driver's seat and then I was giving him driving lessons. And I was like, here's the brake and here's this. And this is what this indicator is for. And this is what you do. And, uh, and it was, I, it was a funny moment because, you know, Ezra and I, have this thing where 
this got really started getting really bad around ninth grade where we can push each other's buttons like no other person in my life can push my buttons the way my son can. And I think I think I have the same thing for him. And like uh, we could be talking about like whether Hunt's or Heinz ketchup is the better ketchup. And then 30 seconds later, be completely yelling at each other about like some fundamental problem with our and like and we have this we have this weird trigger and so it started that really got bad at the beginning of ninth grade and he's just finished ninth grade and somewhere around three quarters of the way through ninth grade I realized oh wait this is happening and I actually need to stop this from happening and so it's gotten a lot better but during those times every time we would get into one of those sudden flare-ups I would start thinking god it's going to be so bad when I teach him how to drive because Part of the, my issue with him, I mean, I, he's got his own set of issues with me, but part of my issue with him is that he likes to pretend like he knows how to do things that he doesn't know how to do, which mm. is just this weird, like, idiosyncrasy. And so if you ever explain to him something that he doesn't know how to do, he immediately cuts me off and is like, I know, I got it, Dad. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I know. Ah. And I'm like, if he does that behind the wheel of a car, that's not. I'm not going to take well to that. That's going to be hard for me to keep my cool. So I had all this like expectation going in that it was going to turn into this big thing, and it it didn't. I actually didn't feel any of that. He was like sufficiently humbled, more or less. And we did the stuff. First thing we worked on was turn, so driving in circles. Then now we're going to turn left. Now we're going to do the, you know. Then and then the next time we did it, it was. Uh, the weekend, and we ha- and Georgia had one of her best friends over, and they really wanted to be in the back seat while Ezra drove around this parking lot. And where we live, there's this abandoned, semi-abandoned naval base, which is like th- where everyone learns to drive in the East Bay. And uh, and so we went over there, and we were driving, and the kids, <laughs> the girls were in the back seat, and I like laid down this ground. And was like, you guys can't say a single word, like you can't talk. And as we're like, blah, 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 you know, like we really got it together. And first there was like some joke making and everything. And then everyone got really serious. And then we did it again. And as we're like drove in circles and went this way and went that way. Uh, and just as he was starting, he was having trouble going into turns, like understanding break into turn and gas out. He just wasn't quite getting that. He was either breaking like super early or like breaking super late and the turns were getting were a little iffy. And then at some point he got it and then he started breaking less and less into turns. And he was starting to do that thing where once he thinks once he's got the skill a little bit that he's gone, he's good. And so he doesn't want to listen anymore. And so once he started to feel the tiniest bit of confidence about turning, he stopped breaking into turns. So we went around this turn one time and we he, we completely like he went into the turn way too fast and it was like a fucking like race car and i was like what are you doing he's like dad i got it i know i'm supposed to break but it was totally awesome <laughs> and right and literally and this is like the thing this is exactly what i imagined he would do as long as i've known him this is exactly what i saw him doing when he finally got behind the, the wheel of a car and he did and the best part about that was that no sooner did he say that he was like, I know, Dad, but I just went in fast, and it was awesome. And then literally, like, half a second later, he ran up on this curb of like that was in the parking lot. There's, like, these little curbs, and he ran up on one, and, the, like, the car shook. And, and the look on his face, I'll never forget it. The good news is that it's on video three different times because both the girls videoed it as well as <laughs> <laughs> And he completely—it was like watching someone turn from cocky teenager— to like frighten child in an instant. Mm. And wow. I mean, he just immediately was like, oh my God, oh my I've God. I've killed us all. Yeah, I was like, I was like, it's okay. And I, the best part about that, and this is where I think it was a victory for me, was I totally knew he was going to run up on that curb. I could just see, because, you know, it's really hard when, you, when you're when you in the 
in the driver's seat to like really gauge properly gauge distance on the passenger side that was something i remember really struggling with when i learned to drive and he every time we came around this one part of the parking lot he was getting a little close to this curb and i could tell he was getting a little close to it but i figured it's an suv and if we if we run up on it we'll run up on it. it's not going to damage the car but but each time I had said, like, watch out, you're getting a little close. Okay, I want you to, you know, just bear a little bit to the left. I think you're getting close. This time I didn't say anything, even though I thought, he's probably going to run up in the curb. But it just dawned on me, like, it's okay if he does. And then it was just such a perfect moment. He was like, Dad, I got it. It was awesome. And then immediately runs up in the curb and was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He stopped the car. He was like, is everyone okay? I'm like, we're all okay. But, you know, and then I got to, like, impart my lesson about that's why they call it an accident because no one expects it to happen. And then it was like suddenly I had this receptive audience where I got to like fit in as much dad wisdom about like defensive driving and all this stuff as possible. It was super cool. And then he kind of got it together. And then and then after that, we did a few more practice three point turns and he was like the perfect student. So I don't know. I just I had spent my whole life waiting for this moment and it just rushed up on me. And uh, it went really well, so I'm psyched about it. He's still a long ways away from. <laughs> I'm still a long ways away from putting him anywhere. You know, he's not. He's not, he's nowhere near licensed yet, and he's got a lot to learn. But I think it's nice that he's just beginning to like get that sense of it's beginning to be time, son, for you to start having a life of your own, <laughs> and this yeah. is the beginning. You know, so it's nice. I love teaching my kids to drive. Teddy's starting to learn now. I love teaching Henry to drive. I love that time with them in the car. I loved those moments where they all of a sudden realized that this could be scary and you could die. And I loved when mm-hmm. they like had like started to really get it. Like it's exciting. Yeah. You know, it's it really cool. exciting. Yeah. It was cool. Like Gabe, you have a lot to look. It's it, it actually teaching your kids to drive is I I it is wonderful because it's so much mm. evidence of like so much growth and uh and them just like going out into the world and like the recognition that this is happening. Like you're, these people are going to go out and be adults among adults. And it's, this is, it's underway. It's just cool. I mean, the things that actually, it will never happen with my kids. Right. It won't happen for you. They're, but. Because they're seven and four. We don't, we don't let seven and four year olds drive. So. But it does sound like it York. must be nice. I, I sort of envy you guys in a way. The small yeah. talk part is nice because you like never have opportunities mm-hmm. to make small talk with your kids, but they don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable not talking while they're learning to drive because they want to act mm-hmm. cool. So like yeah. I'll be driving with Teddy and he'll just be like, so how'd you sleep last night, mom? <laughs> <laughs> you don't care. You don't care how I slept. I now now we're peers, mom. Silence. I'm in the driver's seat and now I'm your peer. <laughs> it's like when Leo says to me, um, he's, he made me a card at camp the other day. It said, how was work, dad? Did you have any good meetings? Did I tell this story uh, on the last episode? You did, but it deserves so to be reheard. It's so good. Fuck. <laughs> Got to cut that. I can't tell the same story nah, in two episodes. I, no, mean, I, I could stand it's here so, twice. That's for sure. Yeah, oh. it's good. It reminds me of the time Georgia made me a, 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 a birthday card that I still have that said, like, um, happy birthday, dad. Hope you had a good year. Another one is coming. Like, <laughs> that's good because it, it's like her attempt at like those jokes in hallmark cards about totally. how like, now, now you're old you're super old totally. Now. <laughs> totally it was just so dark i was like you don't quite have the tone yet but i appreciate the effort that's really funny this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. 
Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer on the air, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at momanddadatslate.com. Uh, if you're not yet a member of the Slate Parenting Facebook group, I earnestly entreat you and invite you to join because uh, we have a lot of great conversation going on there about the show and about uh, our listeners' parenting problems, triumphs, and fails. Uh, always a lot of good discussion there every day. Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. On Slate Plus today, Rebecca is going to get into the nitty gritty of uh, sending Henry to college, who's going to pay for it, uh, how she and Henry's father are going to be forced to navigate the choppy financial waters uh, of sending not one but two ultimately kids through uh, the American higher education system. If you want to hear that segment uh, and you want to get an extended ad-free version of this show and your other favorite Slate shows every week, you can do that by joining Slate Plus. Just $35 for your first year. Uh, you get uh, a, an extra segment and no ads on this show every time and a lot more besides. And it helps us make the show. If you value mom and dad are fighting, join Slate Plus, slate.com slash momanddadplus. Okay, let's go. Time now to take a question from a listener. It's being read for us by Slate's Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. My five-year-old boy has long hair and a super pretty face. And while he sometimes wears leggings or a top that reads girl, he defaults to basic pants and shirts. In other words, he's not wearing lots of femme clothes. We speak openly and explicitly about gender. We live on a college campus and our kids know folks who are trans or non-binary, hear a range of pronouns, and know, kinda in kid terms, that we consider gender to be a construct. He firmly identifies as a boy, though, and it's starting to bother him when he is called a girl. Recently, he said at a summer camp, kids are calling him out in the bathroom, and he reportedly told one boy he would punch him if he misgendered him again. On one hand, I was like, right on. And on the other hand, I was like, yeah, uh, we don't do violent threats. Mostly, it's all about the hair, but his new backpack is purple with desserts and unicorns on it. And when he told some camp kid, I'm a boy, the kid persisted, then why do you have unicorns on your backpack? Peer enforcement of these norms so young is hella depressing. I want to focus on supporting him as kindergarten approaches and would love words of wisdom from y'all. I figure depending on the circumstances, he can ignore, gently correct, maybe even educate his peers. Besides affirming self-expression and cultivating empathy for those who feel the need to put others in boxes, what else can we be doing or what tools might we offer him? Thanks. First of all, um, it sounds like a great kid. I, I, I love your kid. Um, and, um, that's great that he is into the unicorns and the cupcakes and, and whatever else is on his backpack. And that's awesome. Um, I mean, unfortunately, like there may come a time when the, the stuff around it gets uncomfortable and he chooses then to like dial back those aspects of his self-presentation. And that will be really sad because he, he likes that stuff. Um, and I guess the best thing you can do for him is give him um, the tools to try to, like, keep doing his thing for as long as he can and, and try without actually, like, telling him to 
punch people, um, show him ways of responding, uh, give him a variety of ways to respond to them that um, are, you know, nonviolent and acceptable, but that also allow him to sort of f- relatively firmly assert his selfhood and individuality and right to wear whatever the hell he wants to wear. Um, I, I, I don't know what specific, like depending on the kid, I don't know what specific kinds of responses are going to feel like good and helpful to him. And depending on the other kids, I don't know what kind of reaction they're going to, he's going to get with those. Um, but you know, the, the, among the things that a kid can say in that circumstance is, well, of course it's a boy's backpack because I'm a boy and it's my backpack. Um, and another one is really, you think boys aren't allowed to have cool backpacks like this one? Um, and another one is like, go away, you're being stupid. Um, and all of those seem like appropriate <laughs> responses, depending on which one will, will work with the other kids. Um, what do you think, Rebecca? What, what, like, what will actually be effective for this kid here? I don't know, because here's the thing. It's like the kid can say something perfect. And if other kids are determined to be dicks, they're going to be dicks. Uh, I mean, Henry loves the color pink, always has, always been his favorite color. And uh, no longer something that he feels like he has to defend. I think pink has gotten just cooler uh, recently since the return of hip hip preppy stuff has kind of come back in the last few years but um i remember when he was in like second or third grade there was another kid who was really funny because they're friends now but he used to come home crying every day because this kid i'm just gonna say his name was caleb used to make fun of him (laughs) used to make fun of henry's pink uh he used used to choose his own shoelaces and he'd always choose the pink ones he used to make fun of henry's pink shoelaces and henry would be like caleb he's making fun of my pink shoelaces blah 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 and I was like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to change your laces? And he was like, no, they're my favorite. And I would be like, well, then you just need to say that. Like, say that. Say it hurts your feelings when you, you know, make fun of me for my shoelaces. I, I kind of get where the mom is coming from when she, she hears that her son is saying, I threatened to punch him. And she was like secretly like, yeah, I mean – that is that's the place where I think that, you know, this question is kind of like the rubber's really meeting the road because she wants her son to develop the communication skills to stand up for himself and talk about how he feels and say that something is bothering him. Uh, and she knows that is a way of doing that, but it's also not a constructive way of doing that. So I actually think that's what the question is is really about. Like, how do you help your kids stand up for themselves? against dicks because they are going to run into dicks no matter like what the situation they're in and what they're wearing and you know what their tastes are you you could run into kids like that in almost any scenario um for a kid going into kindergarten i don't know like what is the best way to 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 arm them in that scenario it it might just be to encourage them to be a little more open about saying that something hurts their feelings. It really is amazing. That's actually what I advised Henry to do was just say to Caleb, like, come on, like enough that it's a- it actually legitimately hurts my feelings. I really like these shoelaces. And apparently, shockingly, Caleb was like super shocked when he said that and really upset and went home and told his mom and he got in trouble. So it kind of worked <laughs> long term. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, it's 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 a tricky one, especially at this age, because you yeah, really I mean, I want think to the, the, encourage that value of encouraging them to be themselves as much as possible, right? Yeah. Well, I think that the problem here is that <clears throat> this kid is running up against the limitations, our social limitations on like what, on like 
just basically the what the expression of boyhood can be. And this isn't a kid, at least thus far, who is saying, you know, I really don't feel like I'm a boy. I really feel like I'm a girl. And th- that's why I want to dress this way. The kid is saying, I'm a boy. I'm, I feel fine. I feel, I feel like my gender is aligned with my body in this moment. And this is the way, this is what I like style-wise. And those two things are unrelated. And the problem is that there's this limited view of how men can express themselves, ourselves, <clears throat> both visually, emotionally, etc., and that's a really big problem that this kid and, and his parent are facing. And um, I, I, the kid's not going to be able to solve it. But that's that's the main issue right there. And so what I think is happening <clears throat> is that there's two things. One is like, how does the kid defend himself? And the other one is like, how does the kid sort of gain comfort with his choices in a society and in a world that seems to be saying, well, look, you're making the wrong choices. And this is not... This is not how boys dress. They don't wear these clothes and they don't have this backpack. And that's just the fact. And um, so I think that that there's like, I think those two things are actually related. Um, I don't know how long this kid is going to be able to continue to dress the way he wants to dress. But I do like what the mother said. And I, and I mean like whether how long he's going to tolerate it. And that's a sad thing to me. But I think the goal I would have for that is to make it go as long as possible. And I also like what the mother said about um, about wanting him to, um, you know, be able to, de- like, calmly and gently, like, defend his right to do that. And I think that's right. I think you do teach him that. Not necessarily because it's going to make other kids stop, but because the real thing at stake here is the kid's self-esteem and sense of self-worth. Mm-hmm. And... It's a, it's a sad and tragic thing, in my opinion, when a kid has a vision for themselves and it's a harmless vision and it's a, a, a something that they love aesthetically, personally, beautifully, and that and society's like, no, you can't do that just because no. Like, no good reason just because, like, weird, just, like, weird misogyny, basically. That's a really sad thing because it kills a kid's creativity and it also embeds this, this fucked up view that we have. And so I feel like if I feel like the main thing that we want to do with this kid is get him going as long as possible, feeling like, no, I'm right. I'm fine. Even if other people say, no, you're not. And that's a hard thing to do. But I think that's the goal. I don't think the goal is to make other people say, hey, man, you're right, because I don't know if that's possible. I really don't. But the, what, when you teach a kid to defend themselves, you build self-esteem in them. Is what I'm thinking. And so mm. I do think that this mother has to give this kid tools to say, hey, this is how I feel. I'm down with it. If you're not, something's wrong with you. And they can, and that, to, to continue to try and enforce that, that will last as long as it lasts. The other thing is that in the longer run, this kid can benefit from some of the same stuff that kids who are transgender benefit from in terms of, um, in terms of like, gen, like, um, um, Content for gender nonconforming kids, like um, uh, well, we talked about this in the previous episode. There's I am Jazz. There's uh, George, the 2015 book. There's Gracefully Grace, and there's a whole bunch of books that are basically about instilling the idea that like a person's internal vision for how they present their gender is actually allowed to happen, even when other and if other people say it's wrong, that those 
people are wrong. And again, I just want to say that that's the point here is to like, for me, I want to develop. And that's why I think it's right that the mom is like, yeah, my kid wanted to punch this kid in the face. That's cool. I get that. I get that not punching in the face is the right way to go. You don't want to punch people in the face. But what I do like about that is that it's about a person having a sense of self that is bigger than like this social oppression. And I would, mm-hmm. my goal would be to try and encourage that in this kid as long as you can, knowing that at some point this kid themselves may decide, man, this is just too much work and I'm not into it. Right. But hopefully right. by that point, we, cause we are progressing along these lines. I still remain somewhat hopeful. We are progressing along these lines collectively, if not politically. And I still remain somewhat hopeful that we enter into a world where people's gender expression can be what the fuck it wants to be without any of this like arbitrary stuff about how men have to dress this way and women have to dress this way. There's a distinction uh, that that I wonder uh, if it might be helpful to to try to make with the kid a little bit, a distinction in the way people respond to this guy, where there will be some people who are genuinely confused, especially kids who have just been taught that boys mm. don't have hair That's like that, point. that boys yeah. don't wear clothes like that, that boys don't have a backpack like that. And they are just really confused. They know you're a boy, but you're wearing things that in their mind, from what they've been taught, are things that only girls wear. And for those kids, maybe what you need to do is is unconfuse them, is explain to them, actually. I, although mm. mostly people who wear these kinds of clothes tend to be girls it's okay for boys to wear them i'm a boy and i wear them look it's not the rules are not as firm as you think they are and and then there will be other kids and maybe it will be the same kids will go from one position to the other who are not just confused by the crossing of the lines but who feel the need to police the lines right the Mm -hmm. kids who who were like well you fucking can't do that and if you do that then you're a girl and i'm going to call you a girl and when i call you a girl i'm not saying it's okay for you to be a girl i'm saying you're a girl and that's fucked up yeah, um, right. and, and it might help this kid to, to understand that there might be, that, that some of the kids who, who think he's a girl or say he's wearing girls clothes are doing that with hostility and they maybe need to be met with a self-protective kind of force. And then other kids are doing it only because they've been poorly educated on this stuff. They don't understand. They've been told the wrong thing. And maybe you can meet them with a little more openness and a little more sort of explanation of who you are and what you're about and how you feel about things. And you might be able to make a connection with them. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I will say I don't know. Like That's a hard distinction maybe for a four or five-year-old to make. Like that is a little sophisticated. Um, but, but it's if a you... conversation you can have at home, right? And you yeah, can exactly. say, That's what I, was you know, say. I mean, if, yeah. if, if the kid is sort of understanding that if it's a conversation you are having with your son and then, you know, even if you're not telling him you have to make this decision and figure out who these people are and sort them in the real life scenario, but understand that not everybody who has questions about this is coming from one place. There are, you know, I I think that's an important conversation to have. And I agree with what you said, Carvel, that I think her instinct is right to want him to stand up for himself. And I I don't think that you should squash that that instinct to want him to stand up for himself. And it it really is just a question of of the tools. Yeah. And I I mean, I think to the to Gabe's point about the distinction, like with a lot of this stuff, I think that a, a big portion of the work is internal, right? And it's like the big portion of the work is has to do with not all of it, certainly, but a portion of the work, especially the portion that a preschooler can do, has to do with building a, the sense of confidence necessary to walk through the world in your authentic self. 
And that is a responsibility, not a responsibility, that is a, that is a job that we can, that we as parents can take on and that is work that we can help navigate our preschoolers through. I think the, the changing the world is not necessarily work that we should put on preschoolers, right? Not necessarily. So it's, it's like we don't necessarily want to say like, hey, you need to go out and personally change the way other people view everything because I think that I think that is a lot. I think that's important work. I don't know that that's like – I think sometimes we we slightly overestimate how much that is the thing. And so even a distinction like the one that Gabe laid out about like some people are in – some people are confused and some people are actually hostile. Part of the reason that you make that distinction is so that the kid themselves understands, oh, it's not because people hate me. It's mm. because sometimes people are confused. And that, that, again, that builds confidence. That allows a person to stand authentically in themselves. And that actually is where I think we get our most effective change agents from. That's at least what mm. I've seen. Yeah, that's a good that's a good thought. And it gets to how, like, this stuff has a significance beyond the individual case, right? The, the way you deal with these kinds of battles um, sort of sets up a whole bunch more stuff that, that spreads into every area of life. Uh, all right. I hope that was helpful. And um, thank you so much for your question. Write back and let us know how it goes. There will be, uh, I am sure, a lot of good discussion of that question in the Slate Parenting Facebook group. You can find it by going to Facebook and searching for Slate Parenting. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey... Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Uh, Let's take another question, again being read by Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I'm a longtime listener to the podcast. Love you guys. And while I don't have kids yet, my husband and I are thinking about starting a family in the near future. One of the things that's come up as we talk about this is the dreaded last name decision. Here's the background on our situation. When my husband and I got married, I decided not to change my last name. At the time, it didn't feel like some huge statement. I just didn't feel like changing it, and my name felt very personal to me, so why bother? My last name is also a signifier of my ethnicity, and I was happy to keep that. My husband actually earnestly offered to change his last name to mine, but I also felt weird about that. I felt like people would make unfair judgments about our relationship if we chose to go that route. Which I know is stupid, but it's kind of the world we live in. As a side note, I do identify as a feminist, and I work in a very male-dominated industry, so these things are constantly on my mind as background dialogue. When it comes time to thinking about last names for our kids, we feel strongly that we want them to share a last name, rather than doing the sibling split we've read about online as one option. And I had always just assumed they'd take my husband's last name, and this wouldn't be an issue. But now I'm second-guessing myself. We don't really want to go the hyphenation route, because my last name is so long, and we've been debating the last name mashup. What I'm wondering from all of you is how you approach this decision, and what are the considerations we should be thinking about that we might be missing since we don't have kids yet. Thanks in advance for your help on this one. It's so tough. What's in a last name? So here's what I would do. I would find people who have done the things that you were considering doing them and ask them how it worked out. And uh, the reason I would do that is because you – this is one of those things that – 
there are practical implications around that are hard to necessarily weigh when you're just trying to think of doing the right thing uh, rather than the thing that ultimately in 10 years you might just be like, oh, it just would have been so much easier if I did it the other way. So I'll give you an, a real-life example. A few weeks ago on Slate Plus, my colleague Sam Evans-Brown was on the show. He has a hyphenated last name that's uh, hyphenated between his two parents' last names, Evans and Brown. He fucking hates it. He hated it all growing up. He hates it as an adult. And then when he and his wife recently had their baby Hugo, uh, it turned into an even worse uh, scenario because they had to figure out what last name they were going to give their baby because his wife didn't take his hyphenated last name. She didn't particularly care for her last name. And so they just named Hugo one of Sam's two last names. And so now they have this whole new name for their kid, which they're hoping will stick for the <laughs> coming generations, uh, but is already, even though he's just a baby, creating some logistical difficulty around the fact that his last name is different than both of his parents' last names. So uh, I, for one, um, took my first husband's last name. When we got divorced, I kept it because it was my kids' last names. I felt uh, that I wanted my kids to be able to identify me as their mom, that I wanted them to uh, think that, you know, we were part of the same tribe and, you know, me having the last name as them felt right for me in that situation. And it still does. And logistically speaking, it's been really easy when you show up for things and you need to pick them up. Um, there's never been a situation where I've had to sort of explain or they've had to explain, oh, no, this is my mom. Growing up, as I did with a mom with a different last name, that happens more than you imagine it would, even though it's pretty common. Um, so the only thing that this has led to in my life is that I am now married to someone else and I have my ex-husband's last name, which I'm not going <laughs> to lie, is sometimes a little bit awkward, especially for him. Uh, I think he would have really liked it if I had either gone back to my maiden name or changed my name to his name. He's kind of old-fashioned that way uh, in a way that I swear to God is not misogynistic. It's just the way that he is in a very sweet way. Um, and I'm just like, no, I just I really kind of still want to have the same last name as my kids for logistical reasons, for those sort of tribal reasons that I described. Um, but a lot of this decision-making honestly came from my talking to people. You know, I asked my own mom, like, was it a pain in the ass to have a different last name than than us when we were growing up? And she was like, oh, I'm so glad you asked that. It really was. I just, I didn't want to say anything because I felt so bad for having made the decision afterwards. Um, and, and you might talk to people who feel completely differently. You've had a totally different experience with a mashup or a hyphenation. This really is one of those things where you can learn from the experiences of others. And my experiences. It is helpful to have kids with a last name that matches one of their parents. It's helpful for travel reasons. It's helpful for picking up in random places reasons. It's helpful for those sort of uh, weird, uh, yes, uh, arbitrary and societally based uh, reasons of just the way people see families as connected to one another. Um, so it worked out for me really well. And if you were just literally asking me what to do, I would say I would lean in that direction for those practical reasons. But that doesn't mean I'm right. It just means that that is what has worked for me. And so it seems like you're willing to put this out for polling. Um, I would consider doing that a little bit more if you're really, really, really on the fence. But if you are asking me, I would give your kids one of your two last names. If, if you're really asking me <laughs> what I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have much to add to that. I mean, I think that that's exactly right. Like, this is a thing where 
you only get the important information from people who have actually done it. And like she is asking us, I actually, we, Joe and I didn't do this. We made a decision to give the kids my last name. I, there was, I remember there were, it, it, it wasn't a lot of, I felt more weird about it than Joe did. I was like, that seems like, I just, I don't know. It, I, I didn't understand. God, when I think back on what it was like to be in my mid twenties and have like marriage and babies on the way, I am stunned. I, I like there was so much I didn't understand about how the world worked, and I was so aware that I was just was completely in over my head and improvising about things that were actually lifelong. And I guess that's kind of the point that Rebecca is making is that I just there's so much that I didn't know, and I didn't. I was not the kind of person who sought advice from older people in my life. I didn't really have that at that point in my life, and I wish I had around many issues and. Um, but the last name thing, I felt like we were just improvising, making stuff up, just making decisions arbitrarily based on whatever like youthful knowledge we had at the time. And some of those things have worked out fine. And some of them we look back on like, wow, I wish we had talked to someone about this. And I think I think the last name debate is, is one of is one of them. Like it actually is really important. Not it's less important for like like feeling spiritual reasons, it seems like to me from all the people I've known who've made decisions. And it seems way more important for logistical reasons. Like people underestimate how logistically much a pain in the ass it is if you if you miscalculate um, this decision. Yeah. I mean, the thing about looking at it from a practical standpoint and the logistical hassles of doing something non-standard is that inevitably that's going to lead you to, to the conclusion that you should do the standard thing, which is to give the kids the father's last name because that's patriarchy for you uh and and that's the unfortunately like that's the the um the inertial way that patriarchy entrenches itself even among uh people who well, consider or the themselves mothers. feminists no yeah or the right? mother's no, last name yeah. yeah i mean i, I think that's what i think the question well. is not between father or mother it's between one of the existing last names or a made-up last name uh, or a combination a combo last name yeah 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 no, you're right about that, but that's yeah. not well, then in that the question. Case, isn't then father or mother? Politically, yeah. definitely the right thing to do is to give the kid the, the mother's last name. I myself failed entirely to live up to my politics there because um, <laughs> I, remem- I remember thinking, like before we were married, I remember being like, oh, yeah, I don't want my wife to change her last name, man. I want her to have her own last name because she's her own independent person. Why would she take my name? That's some bullshit. And so then we got right. married, and I didn't realize that I was just deferring the problem to the point where you have kids who have to have a name. Right. Um, and I, uh, I remember, um, wanting them to have my last name because it's my father's last name because my father died when I was quite young because he didn't have his, he had no surviving siblings. Um, uh, my uh, only sibling didn't have any kids yet. It felt like the only way for my father's last name to be sure to continue was for me to give my kids his last name. Um, as a result, my kids have their father's name and their mom has a different name. And, uh, that is bad for obvious reasons. Uh, I mm. wish there was a great solution that I could point the letter writer to, but um, I, I can't think of one. Maybe just giving the kids the mom's last name is the right solution, and I was uh, selfish in my sentimentality around my father's name. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I have my mother's last name, and so I so like my kids have the last name of their like grant of their matriarchal lineage, which I think is like kind of cool because it's just it's but then. But then I'm just like, well, my family gets to have the name go on, but then Joe's family doesn't. But Joe didn't really seem to care. Like, she really, this is one of the things that we definitely went back and forth about. And I was like, are you sure, sure, sure? And she was like, I really genuinely don't care. And, yeah, I didn't um, care either. But, yeah. 
I think of how cool it is that I have my mother's last name, especially now that my mother has passed. I like appreciate that a lot more. Um, but the problem with the hyphenated names is that then you, unless we have a society that allows you to just continue to add last names on, which I think would be awesome, <laughs> so that you just end up with like my name is like you know like like Lucy James Mike Frank Jalisa, you know like every name in the entire history. That's what we should do. Yeah, and then blockchain this, names. Yeah, names blockchain names. Blockchain. Exactly. <laughs> it's about Crypto time names. that we got with that. America needs to get with it. All right, one last suggestion, which is you just give your kid a first name like Oprah or Prince. Uh, It's time for us to uh, end run this segment, but uh, I hope that this was helpful to you. Good luck uh, having children. Uh, I think when you do, you'll find that deciding what to name them is the least of your problems. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time now to move on to recommendations. That's the segment where we recommend things to you. We call it recommendations for that reason. Rebecca, what do you recommend? I am recommending a brand new podcast that just came out this week. There's only one episode, so I don't know if episode two is going to be as good, but I can tell you that I can't wait to listen to episode one with my kids, and I think that any smart kids who can listen to a smart podcast, maybe like 10 and over, would enjoy this. It's called Everything is Alive. It's from PRX, and uh, the premise of the podcast is that it is an interview show with inanimate objects, and aside from the fact that the inanimate object talks, Everything the object says is true. And the first episode is an interview with Lewis, a can of generic cola. And it is so wonderful and smart and empathetic and heartwarming and thought-provoking. And also, I learned a whole lot about stuff I don't want to spoil. (laughs) Uh, So I would definitely check out, if you have smart kids and want to listen to something fun in the car with them, check out the first episode of Everything is Alive. It's a brand new podcast uh, from Radiotopia and PRX. Nice. That is excellent. Uh, I'm going to recommend a board game that uh, Leo has been obsessed with and the rest of us can enjoy or at least tolerate as well. Uh, It's called Bug Bingo. Um, It's one of those bingo games. I'm sure you've played bingo games yourself. But this one, each of the squares has a picture of some kind of crazy insect. Uh, They're really beautiful paintings of these bugs by an artist named Christine Berry. And and the bugs all have really cool names like giraffe weevil and harlequin ladybird and giant jungle nymph and golden drummer cicada and frustorfer's dobson fly. And it's really fun to say the name, to call out the names of these bugs. And then the kids can like find the match up the picture and see if they have it on their card. Um, And it is pleasant to look at pictures of strange insects. Uh, The game is called Bug Bingo. We'll put a link to it on our show page. Carvel, what about you? 
I'm recommending a book by a local author, Kate Schatz, who lives in our town and taught at my kids' school and who I really like her work. And um, I recommended her previous book, The Rad Women A to Z book. She has has another one out that she just sent to me. Um, I don't know if it's actually fully out. I guess the book launch was last night, so maybe it is officially out now, but I was pleased to get a, an advanced copy from the publisher and it's so good it's called rad girls can and it is um kind of a uh in the tradition of um her other book um is kind of like a, a, an encyclopedia of various women who've done amazing things and the thing i like about this is that it spans um, a lot of fields, uh, cultural milieu. I just like that it's more than kind of like the same stories that we hear over and over again, which are valuable, but I think sometimes can be flattened through repetition. Um, I think Kate does a really good job here of um, exploring a wide variety of ways in which people, in which women have accomplished awesome and interesting things in a variety of fields. And uh, I just am really excited to have it and I can't wait to give it to my kids and I can't wait to read it with them and share it with them. And yeah, so the book is called Rad Girls Can nice. by Kate Schatz. Uh, and we'll put links to all of these on our uh, show page. You can find it in the uh, Slate Parenting Facebook group. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. And that's our show. If you have a question that you want us to talk about on here, uh, you can call us at 424-255-7833 or send us an email to momanddadatslate.com. Uh, our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoy. I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll be back next week. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.